it actually changes these negative behaviors much faster than criticism. You know, the, the problem with criticism is it puts the nervous system into threat mode and everyone becomes more defensive and the mind locks down and it can't think outside the box. And that's when you get these really nasty arguments of people just butting heads. Welcome to the Lifestyle First podcast, discussing lifestyle medicine and making self-care as easy as one, two, three. And now your host, lifestyle medicine physician and coach, Dr. Alka Patel. Hi, hey, and hello, and welcome to Series 9, Episode 7 of the Lifestyle First podcast. And today we are zoning in on why for your connections. And the one question that we're exploring today is, what is the link between connection and communication? Now, to help answer that, I have with me John Howard. John is an internationally recognized therapist and a wellness expert, and he is the fabulous author of More Than Words, The Science of Deepening Love and Connection in Any Relationship. So hello, John. I am so delighted to be having this conversation. Hi, Dr. Patel. It's, it's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, you're so, so welcome. Now, I wanted to start with a question, of course, because I find that sometimes it feels a little chicken and egg. So what I wanted to know was about communication and connection. Do we need great communication in order to have great connection? Or to flip it, do we need deep connection in order to be able to communicate effectively? Which comes first, John, communication or connection? It's always the chicken. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, First of all, I just want to say I really appreciate your show. And I I just want to give a shout out to your listeners. You do such a great job curating a comprehensive conversation about wellness. And we do that at our wellness center in Austin as well. It's so important to talk about mind and body together, to talk about mind, body, and relationships together. And your show does exactly that. And I know you do that in your own medical work as well. So I just want to appreciate that. Thank you. But this question of communication and connection, most people get it wrong, which is one of the reasons why I wrote the book. Most of us communicate in order to connect And that's because we come from analytic, frontal lobe oriented cultures. You know, what I mean by that is we're educated in this logical manner, uh, we're highly verbal. And so we use concepts and ideas and language in order to connect. The problem with that is the nervous system finds conversation a little bit laborious and annoying. Most of the time, especially if you have a difference of opinion, which I'm sure no one listening has ever had that with their partner. So they don't know what that's like. But when you're communicating to connect, it often feels heavy. It feels slow. It feels like you're bashing your head against the wall sometimes. It doesn't achieve the intended outcome because the feeling of goodwill to interpret those words isn't really there. The secret is if you connect first, and you establish that sense of goodwill, and I know you like me, you know I like you, we feel like we have each other's back, we can relax, we can breathe, we trust each other. What happens is the mind opens, we become less defensive, and we can communicate far more easily, even on those things that we have differences around. 
That's very, very interesting. So are you suggesting that it's the feeling of connection that's more important than the verbal that surrounds it? It's so much more important. The brain, as you know, is primarily concerned with safety and security first. Until it checks that box, it's not really interested in, so in what someone has to say, uh, especially if their ideas are somewhat foreign or different from what we believe. So connection is aimed at the nervous system. It settles that question of, can I really trust you? And am I safe with you? Whereas communication is aimed at the frontal lobes. It's a higher order conceptualization process. You have to interpret language to understand what it means. That causes the frontal lobes to work. And it's not as connected to the primitive parts of the nervous system that measure connection. So when you know how to connect first, in order to set up communication, you're talking to the nervous system, you're helping it feel safe and secure. And what happens is a rosy and positive interpretation of the words. You know, we, we all know what it's like when we don't really trust someone and we don't feel that safe with them. It doesn't really matter what they say. We're always highly suspicious and we're going to take a negative biased interpretation of what they're saying. But think about what it's like when you sit down with your best friend on the couch to just have a conversation. It doesn't really matter what words you use. You completely trust the goodwill in that relationship and you interpret the words that way. So what I'm hearing is that communication is littered with vocabulary and words. But of course, we do know, don't we, that we communicate in nonverbal ways as well. Is that part of the connection message rather than the communication message? Where does, where does that sit in this ability to connect? 80% of communication is nonverbal. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that. And 90% of the information we gather is actually subconscious and unconscious. The, the brain collects far more information than it can possibly be aware of. And it does that mostly for security reasons. So when you communicate, when you connect first, what happens is you're using that nonverbal subconscious channel to send a very obvious signal to the nervous system. I care about you, you matter to me, you're safe with me, and then we can go on from there. But if you try to do that with words in only that small portion that we're aware of and that's verbal, you're, you're pushing a boulder uphill because it's not very convincing to the nervous system. That's why if someone says the right words, for example, but you look at their face and their eyes and, and their facial expression is not consistent with what they've just said, it's, it's very confusing and it's unconvincing. Mm. But when someone has the right tone of voice, the right body language, and they're showing you with their nonverbals that you are safe and you are secure with them, then the words can make mistakes, which by the way, we all make a lot of mistakes in language and in communication, that's okay. Those mistakes don't matter that much when you trust one another in the interaction. So is this very much more about internal communication with yourself than you're saying words into yourself, such as, I trust you, I feel safe. So, because we often think of communication as being very external to ourselves, don't we? It's what we're portraying outwardly. What about what we portray inwardly? How, how do we create that connection? You've now convinced us that connection comes first and it's so important. But how do you actually create that internally? 
So it, it's a deep question because a lot of people turn to meditation, for example, or personal growth to develop a more calming, grounded presence. And it's true that helps. If we can be more grounded and in better relationship with ourselves, then we tend to exude a sense of safety and security to others. But there's a secret here, and I want people to utilize this hack because it's very powerful. You can deepen yourself through relationship if you improve your relationships. It's actually more difficult to work on ourselves independently in a vacuum because we're very relational creatures. If we improve our relationships and suddenly we feel coming back from the relationship, a sense of love and security and comfort and compassion, well, that helps us become more secure individuals. So mainly what I'm suggesting is that when people interact, that they be focused primarily on creating a sense of security, not so focused on their ideas and their concepts and the point they're trying to make. Because again, that's hard for the brain and it takes a lot of energy. But use your nonverbals, your body language, your eyes and your tone to convey a sense of safety directly to someone's nervous system. Maybe even using touch and proximity, which are very direct communicators. And once you feel connected, you can communicate from there. What you'll find is you have far less arguments. Mm-hmm. So this isn't really some ethereal quality that you're talking about this idea of connection is it you're talking about stuff going on in the brain actual physiological changes occurring and certainly there's that connection to our health as well we don't talk about connection and communication simply to just communicate and connect it is part of our evolution and our growth and our sustainability and our longevity and our survival as well isn't it have you come across research that that really looks at that i have and i'm so glad you brought that up uh alka because very few people know that the quality of your relationships is a primary determinant of your longevity and your overall health and wellness you know we used to think that it's mainly about diet and exercise, you know, and really taking care of our body. But when you don't have a healthy or or a functional relationship, the amount of stress that it generates is very, very high. One of the highest forms of stress that humans experience. And that's because you live with that person day in and day out, but it's also because that person is supposed to be your your security partner, you know, the the person that helps you when you're down. And so if you don't trust that relationship, the nervous system is constantly on edge and that takes its toll. It also impacts our sleep. uh, It impacts uh, our physical wellness. It can lead uh, to disease if those relationships aren't improved. This is one reason why it's so important to focus in this area. Yes, your life will be better. Yes, you'll have more love. You'll have more richness. Everything becomes more meaningful, but you'll live longer, generally speaking, uh, and you can help ward off disease. So there's very, very good research on this. In fact, I, I cite all of the major articles in my book because I wanted people to have this research, to be able to look up the articles, to read them themselves. All the notes are in my book. My book is actually based on over 250 research articles 
uh, in the relationship space. And that's a little bit of overkill for a self-help book. But part of the reason is to your point, the research is so exciting and interesting and new. I really wanted people to see exactly where I'm getting the information to be able to look up those articles. And yeah, the research on relationship health and longevity and health and wellness is very well established. I think people will be surprised to learn how big of a difference it makes in our lives. On the negative side, a, a unhealthy relationship has a lot of costs. But the good news is that on the positive side, it has an equally positive effect in terms of extending our lives and improving our health and wellness. So even if we just do a little bit to connect more deeply and feel more secure with our most important people, it has tremendous health benefits all across the board. And I think it's important to pause on this just for a second in terms of the, the gravitas of what you've just shared with us is that connection is part of your survival mechanism. It correlates with your length of living. And I think we just need to really, really zone in on that and recognize and give it and elevate connection to that level that it needs to be alongside the usual stuff that we love to talk about and diet and exercise and, and all of that is that this needs to be on par with those sorts of conversations, doesn't it? I completely agree. You know, there's been a lot of awareness of mental health over the last few years, especially during the pandemic. And in our line of work, we see a lot of mind body clinics, you know, that talk about mental health and physical health. Well, one area that often goes missing is people's relationship health, because it's a little more personal to ask about that. And many health professionals don't feel adequate to enter into that conversation. You know, they almost don't really know what to say. If you say, well, I have a bad relationship, or I, I don't really trust my partner, or, or I don't feel very happy in it. So when we built our clinic, we wanted to make sure we included that. And it turns out, you know, if you give people surveys uh, about their health and wellness, uh, generally, they have a lot to say about their relationships. It makes sense, right? They're, they're such an important key part of our life. But just like physical health and mental health, people really do need to think about the health of their relationships as a primary factor in their stress, their sleep, you know, how well their body operates and their overall mental health. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And so you're obviously referring to relationships as perhaps that person closest to you, significant other, partner, spouse, whoever that is. But of course, our relationships extend well beyond that as well. What about relationships in the workplace, for example? I and mean, then that's a place for very strong and, and uh, perhaps different communication, but it's certainly a very, very important part. We spend how much of our waking moments working or in working environments. So what are your thoughts about communicating and connecting in the workplace? Well, this is so important because when I wrote the book, I had to decide, you know, am I only speaking to partner relationships or can I use this science to help people understand how to connect more broadly? And I wrote the book even for single individuals, uh, Alka, because many people who are single are seeking healthy relationships and are seeking quality connection. And it's very important for them to understand the science of relationship health so they don't make mistakes. So they don't choose partners that don't carry that baseline nervous system security that the brain is seeking. So for single individuals that are dating, let's say, it's very important to know this information. 
And when we're relating to our kids or to our extended family members, it's also extremely critical that we understand attachment theory, that we understand the neuroscience of safe relationships, because you can build a more quality connection with your children or with your extended family members if you know how to implement this information. And then we look at the workforce. And, you know, the workforce is an area where we can't get too personal. For example, you know, one of the tips I have in the book is that I, I recommend partners talk at very close distance sometimes, especially if they have a tendency to argue. Because when you close the distance, it changes the, the, the calculation of the brain of what the interaction means. You know, all of a sudden, it's not just a conversation, it's become something more intimate. Well, you're probably not going to do that at work because it would be seen as quite bizarre. Uh, but there are powerful tips from this new science people can use in the workplace. For example, putting people at ease with your body language and with your tone of voice is very important in the workplace. Sometimes we think, okay, it's just work. So we're just here to communicate ideas, exchange information and get things done. But in actuality, teams are much more functional and effective if they feel trusting within the team in those relationships and if they like one another. And a very easy way to do that is instead of just conveying information, you know, like if someone walks into your office and you have to communicate a task or a concept, well, don't just think of it as conveying the information. Take that opportunity to create a real connection with that person. It might be a colleague or someone who works for you. But you can do that by exuding safe and secure body language and by using a tone of voice that's warm and friendly. And when you pay attention to that, that person will be more productive and more effective because they trust and like you. And so now you can communicate the information and build a nervous system connection at the same time. Yeah, this sounds like fun, actually. You could have quite a lot of fun doing this as well and getting a little bit of insight into yourself and what does that slightly different tone of voice sound like? What does my posture change look like? It sounds like actually you can enjoy this experience because, again, sometimes we do take this very seriously, don't we? And, of course, we've talked about the gravitas and the importance, but actually communication is also something that we should be able to enjoy. Creating those connections should be an enjoyable experience as well, don't you think? I do. And, you know, sometimes I think that acting training is, is some of the best practice for relationships because those acting classes where you let your guard down, you let loose, and you're just having fun trying different facial expressions and tones of voice, for example, that's excellent preparation for relationship life. I often have people tell me, how can I change my tone of voice? That's impossible. It's just built in to me. And I say, well, there's this entire industry called acting where people intentionally change their tone of voice for an effect and their facial expression and their body language. So the point is we can make ourselves better connectors. We just have to have the will to practice. And you're right, it can be fun. I actually, I'm a big fan of partners practicing with each other because that's also quite funny uh, and fun. So when partners have a tough area, you know, some of your listeners I'm sure can relate. Sometimes it's talking about money. Sometimes one person is messy and one person is clean. Sometimes people have different ideas about parenting. So these are sticky areas that people argue about constantly. Well, 
you're never going to change someone's core personality. You have to learn how to manage those differences skillfully. And one of the most effective ways to do that is to practice in a fun and lighthearted way. So instead of having a heavy conversation about, well, you do this and I do that and you know it doesn't work and we're different. Well, how about just practicing how it could work better? And it's really amazing to me because we use this a lot in therapy, Alka, but I think in ordinary life, people really don't practice these difficult scenarios very much. They talk about having an issue and then they expect to be better at it. But neuroscience would suggest that we don't get better at things unless we practice them. So what this looks like is, you know, we would sit down and say, we are really bad at talking about money, aren't we? Uh, we just never seem to do it very well. So how about you and I just take some time today to practice what a good conversation about money might actually sound like? And, you know, we may not be good at it yet, but if we keep practicing, eventually we'll know the moves, we'll know how it sounds, we'll, we'll have this templated into our memory, and we'll be able to get there more easily. These are very powerful strategies that we use in therapy to accelerate growth very quickly. And in the book, I have some tips on how people can do this at home. It is quite fun and funny sometimes. Wonderful. This sounds like it's going to be my pillow talk tonight. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're going to have this very conversation. Uh, wonderful. And you know what I loved about what you just demonstrated is I heard the word we so many times as well. Again, you know, the essence of communication and connection. And there isn't that finger pointing that comes with the gestures or the words or the sound. It's just so so soft and so open and as you say trusting and creating some some safety so yeah just thank you for that uh, um, sharing that um but yes that, that we approach Alga, i just want to say real quickly yeah. it is so much more effective I, I just want your listeners to know that when you communicate that way and when you invite people into a growth process it actually changes these negative behaviors much faster than criticism you know, the, the problem with criticism is it puts the nervous system into threat mode and everyone becomes more defensive and the mind locks down and it can't think outside the box. And that's when you get these really nasty arguments of people just butting heads. But in using we language, and I'm so glad you noticed that, what I'm doing is inviting my partner into a growth opportunity, right? It's a team approach rather than an individual approach. A lot of times people have been taught to say, I feel, you know, this and I feel that as a way of communicating responsibly, right? Instead of blaming you. Well, that's great. That actually is an improvement uh, compared to pointing the finger and, and blaming somebody. But in relationships, it's not enough because what I feel and what I think is just me as an individual. When I change that language to we, how can we get better at this? How can we deepen our love? How can we prioritize improving our communication? The team concept puts everyone at ease. And sometimes, you know, we don't even notice that we're doing or not doing this. And I have tried with some of my clients as well is just spend a day noticing how many times you use the word I or you. And the moment you have that awareness, then you've got some readiness to change it. But a lot of the time, we don't even have that awareness because, as you say, we've got these ingrained habits and patterns and just the way that we've been doing things for such a long time, which involves a very, very uh, easy use of the words you and I, right? Yes, absolutely. So much of our relationship behaviors are automatic. Mm. You know, they come from the procedural system. They're pre-thought. 
And this is why people think they can't control their face and they can't control their tone is because, yeah, it's true. It, you know, interactions happen very quickly. And generally we're moving from a default mode when we're interacting, but that's not an excuse to be threatening by default or to be disconnecting by default. It's not a valid excuse. We actually can take control of the signals we're sending. Even a lot of the subconscious nonverbal signals, we can take control over those and make sure that the signal we're sending somebody else's nervous system is one that communicates safety and security. And now here is your lifestyle first prescription. Your three activating actions to take you from knowing to doing. I think there are people listening now who are ready. They're ready now to make those deeper connections. So tell us then, tell us what are three things that we can do. We can take away straight away to really build that. Okay. So one of those is to use more touch and proximity. Now people have to be careful with this because, you know, everyone is different. Every relationship is different. And I, I don't know if your partner likes touch or how comfortable they are with closeness, but generally speaking, if you use a little bit more touch in your interactions, and if you stand or sit just a little bit closer than you normally would, all of this communicates intimacy, safety, and friendliness to the nervous system. Now, there is a measuring period. You know, when you get in close, some, that somebody may, may need to take a minute to adjust to that. It might initially be a little bit uncomfortable. You know, why, why are you so close? Or why are you touching my arm while we're talking? We're just having a conversation. But once the nervous system adjusts to that, it sends a message of security to the brain. People don't normally touch unless it's combat or it's friendly and close intimacy. So once the brain determines that it's safe touch, it actually reads the communication in a more friendly manner. So what I tell people is if you're sitting at the dinner table, you know, just reach over and, and put a hand on, on someone's arm. You know, if you're walking, hold hands. If you're watching TV, put an arm around your partner or your kid while you're watching TV. These are opportunities for touch that we sometimes don't use. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. As you say, it's uh, it's within our grasp. It's all within our reach to be able to just reach out and do that. So, so thank Absolutely. you. What else have you got for yeah. us? Okay, the second thing I would recommend is that people actually practice. Don't just talk about relationship issues. That really doesn't change much. You have to remember relationship behaviors come from the automatic system. So if you want to have a better relationship, you and your most important people need to practice and ideally together. So what does that look like? Well, let's say you have a problem with your kid. You know, your kid doesn't like getting up in the morning for school and takes too long to get ready and talks back to you and all this kind of stuff. Well, instead of it being adversarial and confrontational, sit down with your child and say, hey, why don't you and I as a team practice what a really fun and easy morning could look like. I want your help and I want your ideas. Let's do this together. So you and I are actually going to role play what we have to do in the mornings until we figure out what feels good and what feels fun. So we can do that with our kids and it works really well because they feel respected and empowered. But doing this with our adult partners is equally effective because often those conversations about differences are adversarial and confrontational. 
So it's very important to take the same approach and say, how can we get better at this habit that keeps giving us trouble and causing arguments? Let's be willing to practice until you like how it's going and I like how it's going. And once we figure out what that sounds like and what that looks like, let's practice it a few more times until it becomes an ingrained habit that we can easily reach for. The practice is so important, Alka, because when people just talk about issues and then later they get upset and they get stressed, well, all those fancy ideas aren't there anymore. You know, the frontal lobes of the brain go offline under stress and we rely on primitive methods, you know, like threat and blame and criticism. So I encourage people to practice these scenarios so that even under stress, you sort of remember what it sounds like and feels like to do that healthier thing. Yeah, do not wait for that argument to escalate. Actually, use practice when there's those moments of calm and shared understanding to actually build on this. Brilliant, love that, love that, thank you. And the third thing, give us one more thing. Okay, so one more thing is that many of us live in the modern world where we're quite busy and we're quite distracted by everything around us and we're multitasking a lot. So when it comes to connection and intimacy, The nervous system does not like distraction and it does not like multitasking. So all the things we're typically doing, like checking our texts and our emails and, you know, watching the news and, you know, being on social media, it's it's not ideal for establishing a core sense of connection with other people's nervous systems. And so people have to remember that our nervous system has evolved over hundreds of thousands of years to measure connection. And it doesn't typically rely on technology. It hasn't evolved yet to include that. So when you're with your most important people, your partner, your friends, your family members, your kids, try to land in the present moment, breathe, don't be distracted and don't multitask. Because if you give someone your full attention, physically, mentally, emotionally, it sends a message that they matter to you. And that unconscious nonverbal message is what helps create the sense of connection. It helps prevent arguments. You might not even know why you're arguing less based on this one modification, but it's because you have sent this baseline signal that the people around you really matter to you. And that puts them at ease. And that's so important to practice as well, isn't it, John? Because actually our little devices are designed to distract us. And so if we don't practice coming back and being fully present, well, it's going to win every single time, right? There's no question. And, you know, TV is also designed this way. I mean, most forms of media are designed to pull us in and cause us to be addicted and, and continue to consume Uh, that device or that media. So it takes a lot of discipline to connect, but this is not unlike the way soldiers are trained or police are trained, for example, to have each other's back and protect each other under stress. Uh, Yes, it's easy to get distracted by what's happening around you in a stressful environment, but if you don't move to your teammate and you don't work together, you're going to have bigger problems. So in the modern world, we have to think of these distractions as competing with the opportunity to connect, and we have to have the discipline to put them down, shut them off, tune them out, and really give our full physical and mental attention to the people around us. 
Thank you so much, um, John. There's been a real richness to what you've shared with us today. I'm so, so glad that we've had this conversation today. And I would love listeners to read your book because we've just had a snippet of it today. And there is so much in there uh, that really can make an essential difference to our ability to connect and communicate. So how do we get hold of your book? And people will want to get hold of you as well, I'm sure. So what's the best way to reach out to you? Well, I would love for everyone to, to read the book because it will give them valuable tips and exercises they can implement in any relationship. The book is on Amazon, so it's very easily found there. And if your readers pick it up and, and read it or listen to it and learn something from it, I always appreciate it when people leave me a review, uh, just letting me know what you learned. Uh, people can also, if they want, go to getmorethanwords.com. Uh, that's my website for the book. And people can get some extra free goodies from me there. For example, I have a bonus chapter on attachment that didn't make it into the book, but it's a very important chapter because when I think about my own healing and personal growth, which I needed a lot of, attachment theory was so important to that. You know, I wouldn't have been able to learn how to have healthy relationships without that information. So if people go to my website, getmorethanwords.com, there are some free goodies that I will send you by email, but you can pick up the book anywhere. Amazing. Thank you. I will share those links uh, directly onto the uh, podcast description as well. Um, thank you so much, John. It's been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Lots for us all to think about and to put into action, of course. So thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Patel. It's been a pleasure. Very welcome. And I wish everyone listening a happy, healthy day. Thanks for joining us on the Lifestyle First podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share. To learn more, please visit www.dralkapatel.com.